Welcome to In Defense of Humanity. My name is Ostris Oz Miller. Today, we're joined by Jackie Lewis Burton. Khalid, please introduce yourself. I'm Khalid Johnson. If you've been here for the past however many episodes I've been here, and I'm your co-host. Thank you. Now, Jackie, will you please tell us about yourself and about what we'll be covering this episode? Yes. So my name is Jackie Lewis Burton. I am from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, stand up. Um, but I currently live in very, very rural North Georgia. Um, I am a student affairs and higher education professional. I currently work at um, Young Harris College, a small private liberal arts college um, up in North Georgia. And I am the director of student equity and student transitions at Young Harris. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, can you please explain to our our listeners what student equity and student transition are? Yes. Um, so student student equity um, at Young Harris, I kind of have a split role. Um, so eight months out of the school year, I am working towards um, making things more equitable for students on campus. That does include um, increasing representation um, and visibility. Um, It includes making spaces more inclusive for students who are often marginalized. Um, That includes our BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, and other people of color student groups, um, our LGBTQ student groups, um, our first-generation student groups, international student groups. So any of those student groups that tend to fall along um, the margins and are often, honestly, if I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say it bluntly, are forgotten about um, mm-hmm. a lot of times. Um, I have been tasked to work with those students and to work with the greater campus community, whether it be faculty, staff, or other students, part of the student body, um, to better understand um, those students and some of the obstacles that they may face or the challenges that they may face through matriculation. Um, and to minimize or remove, honestly, a lot of those obstacles and barriers that are there um, from them receiving their education. So we're talking, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. Sorry, I forgot to say the other part of my role. The transitions part um, is basically transitioning all of our new students on campus um, in the spring and fall semesters. Um, So a lot of that is orientation work um, and acclimating these students to campus. Um, these are, th- that's the entire student population, not just the BIPOC students um, or other students of marginalized populations, but um, that just includes um, our first year first time students, our transfer students, our readmits. Um, so all those students who are trying to get back into classes um, at the college. So yeah, those are the merging of my two worlds. And your work is important. Uh, Young Harris definitely needed an equity um, position. Um, So today we're talking about tokenism. So uh, you want to get right into it. Um, You know, you suggested the topic and I'd love to hear, you know, your initial thoughts on that and uh, what motivated you to um, choose it as a topic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, in the spirit of equity and diversity and inclusion, Um, I find that in predominantly white 
spaces, specifically institutions um, such as colleges and um, other educational institutions of the like. Um, a lot of times what I see personally is a lot of um, students from marginalized populations are recruited um, to come onto campus and to obtain their degree at these institutions. But what ends up happening is there aren't a lot of resources, services, personnel um, who can actually help them once they arrive. Um, I think a lot of times what tends to happen is there's an eagerness or there a need or there's a need to increase representation or to I'm just going to be blunt um, to reach a, a number um, and to get a, a threshold of X amount of students um, from this population or this demographic that you know we need here at our institution. But the problem is once the students arrive, there's not a whole lot of support in place for them. Um, so I think that's what um, really led me to the topic of tokenism. I myself have been through only predominantly white um, institutions for education and that's K through 12, um, that's, that's undergrad, that's graduate school. I now work at a PWI um, and uh, oftentimes what I find is I am invited to this proverbial seat at the table. Um, but once I arrive at this table, my voice and my ideas and um, my values are often either they're not heard um, or not valued. So I know what that experience is like personally. Um, I see it in a lot of our students um, that I work with daily. So that that is that's basically what led me to the topic of tokenism. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's important, especially considering the area uh, where you currently work and where me and Osteris graduated from. Um, it's a mess and uh, it's very easy to, um, it's very easy to, you know, find yourself in a position where they'll plaster you on the website, you know, to make it look diverse and make it look good. Not and me. then, uh, you weren't on the website. Been up there a couple times. I swear, I swear they threw you up there because I've been up there. Nobody they, told they're me. They're happy. Definitely on the on the on the Instagram somewhere. Oh, oh, certainly on Probably. the Instagram. Oh, uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they'll they'll throw these students up, make themselves look appealing, you know, to students of color, uh, and then entirely forget about them when it comes to events because when you look at the events that are planned, you know, they're really white centric and white focused and you know based on what white people like right and so then you know even on like even in more private areas right they you know you'll have your black students uh or your black faculty and you know the belief is that you speak for all black people on campus or you speak for right. all people in your minority group on campus and so you know you may get asked something out of pocket or you may be asked something that you agree with that somebody else doesn't agree with, i.e. the N-word. And, uh, you know, because <laughs> you're the you're the point person for it, uh, you know, it throws away everybody else's voice and experience because you're the black friend, you're the, you're the whatever friend. And that gives permission to be as offensive or uh, as negligent 
as as people feel like they need to be. Absolutely. I find, um, so I'm just gonna throw it out there. I am the only black woman staff person um, on campus. There are two other black women who do work on campus, but they're on the faculty side. Um, so I don't actually get to see them or work with them as closely as I would like to, but there's pressure there. Um, and it's not a pressure that I put on myself. It's a pressure that other people put on me. Um, as uh, my, my aesthetic, the way that I talk, um, there's, there tends to be these ideas that, oh, because, you know, Jackie wears her hair in braids. Oh, every black person, every professional black person must wear their hair in braids or because she speaks this way or, you know, her dialect is this way. Oh, uh, probably other black. And I'm like, mm, no, no, that ain't it. We're, we're not a monolith. <laughs> we're very much not a monolith. Um, we're a little, you know, a little more dynamic than that, guys. Come on. And even with you, like, expressing yourself, right, there's still, like, a pressure to be respectable. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I have, um, what's sad is I've run into other Black people um, on campus, outside people, um, people who have been invited in as guests. Um, and, you know, this is, although it's not the most comfortable or welcoming community. It is my community right now. Um, and it is a community that I'm a part of and that I know well, right? I have a good um, relationship with our student population. Try to have good relationship with our, with our faculty and staff. Um, so I have a temperature, like I have a pulse on campus. I, I kind of know how campus culture is. I, I kind of know how it runs. Um, you know, I know what things are deemed as deemed as acceptable and deemed as not acceptable. Um, and it, it's interesting to me because there was a guest as of recent who came on the campus. And, I, you know, I was really looking forward to connecting with this person. Um, really looking forward to, you know, um, being under their their mentorship and their guidance. And once we got into conversation, I was like, Ooh, sis, we're not the same. Like this, this, we're a little different. Um, because this person told me kind of to tone it down and to not be so loud. And you're gonna, you're gonna piss off all the white people and make them mad. And then they're not going to want to work with you. Um, you're, you're not going to be able to attract anyone this way. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I didn't know we were interested in, in attracting folks. Like I, I help me understand. Uh, like <laughs> your, your goal is to look good for pictures. You're not supposed to challenge the status quo. Yeah. I mean, in lesser words that that's exactly what um, the message was. I, I got it loud and clear and I'm like, but you don't go here. Like you don't, you don't work here. You don't study here. You don't teach here. So how are you going to tell me, you know, how to act or I like with all due respect, I'm really not concerned with how other people perceive me um, because it's, it's taken me such a long time. I've worked to um, not have to monitor myself or to censor myself um, or to quiet my voice um, in other words. And you come in here telling me to like 
quiet down, to chill out, I'm too loud, mm, <laughs> not okay. I mean, I think like an interesting thing, right? Um, even like outside of like a professional sphere um, and like a predominantly like white space, right? You have to be cognizant and you shouldn't have to be, right? You're, you're constantly aware of, oh my gosh, what if I say something that, you know, people might decide to run with or what if I say something and like misrepresent people and then that's just like a running thing or you have to like you have to be cognizant of not being a stereotype right because I think about Lizzo and how much flack Lizzo got because people thought that she was portraying a mammy stereotype despite the fact that she was just being herself and it's like dang you can't win for losing you have to check yourself amongst your own people because to like in a white sphere you have to um you know, you're forced to be representative for all Black people. So, you know, that, that pressure, it, it's, it's white supremacy in a nutshell. I, I have a running joke that I blame everything on white supremacy, but it's really not a joke because it, like, it's actually where a lot of our issues and problems do come from and stem from, even within our own community, um, is white supremacy and it's funny that you brought up Lizzo because there was a time when I used to, like, if I'm honest, um, I used to subscribe to respectability and respectability politics because I thought that um, it, it was a safety mechanism, right? Like if I straighten my hair, if I wear a suit, if I speak very proper, if I enunciate, um, I'm safe, you know, I, I'm able to assimilate, I'm able to it sounds corny, but like put on this blanket of safety. Um, but I had to learn really quickly, like that, that ain't, mm -mm, that ain't it chief. Like that, that, that's not going to help you. That's not <laughs> going to save you. There, there's still a very important factor, regardless of how you style your hair or what clothes you're wearing. And it's your skin. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's your skin tone. Mm -hmm. So, Definitely. um, mm. I also think that plays into, um, you know, the, the, the theme for the season as far as um, socioeconomics um, and class, right? Um, because a lot of times I think like the upper echelon or the elitist um, Black folks or the, or the Black folks who do subscribe to respectability a lot of times, um, you know, they kind of want to point at these other um, groups within and, you know, and kind of turn their nose up, like, what is wrong with y'all? Pull your pants up, go to school, do better, get off the street, stop selling drugs, don't sell your body. And it's like, you kind of got to take a step back and look at the systems that <laughs> force them, in lesser words, to turn to these, um, these ways of, of gaining um, income or, you know, um, or making a living or just trying to survive point blank. So yeah, Absolutely. it's a lot, it's a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. For sure. I, I can recall an instance, you know, I, I think of myself as being respectful. Some people would say otherwise, but I like to believe that I'm a respectful person, but there was most certainly, I think it was probably around sophomore year at Young Harris. You know, your boy had just come back from studying abroad. And, you know, I came back with some, some might call hotep ideologies. And I was, I was reading some Fanon, you know, the wretched of the earth, 
I was talking about alienation and indoctrination through uh, the white sphere. I only speak this way because I'm trying to be respectful so I can obtain some semblance of power. You know, if I'm smart enough, oh, he's smart for one of them. And I was like, oh, oh, I see what's happening. And so, you know, boy comes back speaking Mandinka, you know, watch, watch myself some roots, started, started talking to some, some distant cousins, be like, oh, Jerry Jeff, Malekika. And then people were like, oh my God, like, let's, let's go. And then they would be, they'd be like, you know, talking to me and one of a friend of a podcast, Emmanuel, they'd be like, oh, Manny Fresh, come over here. And he'd be like, why don't you call me by Dave? Or they wouldn't be using my first name. They'd be like, but it's just easier to call you that. Why can't we just call you these? And I was like, uh, because I said not to. I mean, it's not nearly as severe as whatever they dead name people just in, you know, but I knew you whenever you were not this. So I'm just going to stick with that if that's okay with you. And it's like, nah, fool, I'm going to punch you. Not really, because the police are outside. However, I will find you in Hiawassee, Georgia, where I will be shot by the police and I will knock you down. And that's like the thing, right? Like there's this kind of big overstepping of, uh, of boundaries, right? When you get tokenized, you know, you are commodified, you become an accessory basically, right? And, you know, it, they don't need to necessarily respect your boundaries because you exist to basically be something that they can wave around and say, I'm not racist or mm-hmm. I'm not homophobic, right? You know, you claim your black friend or your or your LGBT friend. And it's like, I can't possibly be this thing because look at my friend who I definitely just misnamed, you know? If, if, your, if your black friend cannot talk to you candidly about black issues, um, if your LGBTQ friends cannot talk to you candidly about LGBTQ issues, um, you, they're not, not your, your friends. Friend. Like, yeah. They're not your friends. They're just some black or LG, LGBTQ folk that you just so happen to know. Yeah. Like, you insert yourself into their lives. Right. Oh my God. Maritza, come over here. I just saw this. Oh my God. Did you see that new episode of Orange is the New Black? Let's talk about it. Oh gosh. It's interesting that you brought up um you know how when you changed your name there was a little pushback like well why can't i just call you indeed i was was like it it would be different if like you know because khalid whenever we met i i i was with my aunt and she was like hey hey cool so how are we gonna play this i was like so i'm gonna introduce myself i was introducing myself by my actual name and then people would be like, oh my God, that's so hard. Is there anything else I could call you? I was like, well, sometimes in high school, white people would call me this. And they'd be like, let's go with it. And I'd be like, well, let's just start disseminating it. Why not? Why not? Let's let's roll with it. And then, you know, going back home, they're like, oh, we don't really care. We won't we'll care either way. Uh, we'll call you, we'll call you dumbass if we want. And I was like, all right, I, I feel that. I feel that. <laughs> Uh, you know, going going overseas, they're like, "Yo, brother, brother, which where you hail from? You from the west side?" I'd be like, "No, 
I'm from the Atlantic side, not the West, though, from the slaves. And they'd be like, okay, okay, we, we're going to hang out. I'd be like, you know, there, there are 20 black people in New Zealand. Not really, but it felt like there were 20 black people in the South Pacific. So, you know, you, you hang out with whoever you can. And whenever you go back, you, you have the power. And I was like, hmm, it doesn't work like that, my brother. But okay, we'll see. Come back. Oh, no. Let's, let's go hang out. Let's go to a party. We're going to do ecstasy. Do you want to drive us there? We're going to do that. Okay. Come, come with us. Drive us there. No, they never ask, come with us. Will you drive us? We know you don't drink. We know you don't do drugs. Will you be at our party? And whenever the police come, you have to talk, even though you don't do anything. And be like, just just say, just say we weren't doing anything. I was like, well, the, the, the breathalyzer is going to say you did something. Also, you're white, so you got nothing to worry about. Right. Like, what does that look like? You are bringing me in. Like, do you, and I think a lot of that's, oh, that frustrates me. Like, that's a large part of what frustrates me. Like I said, I'm not your friend. If you're putting me in situations to where I could possibly lose my life by the end of the night, and this is not being dram- dramatic by any means, you know, people might be like, it's just a party. Come on. What do you mean? If we are going to come into, if there's a possibility, that we will come like into an, an encounter with law enforcement at any point, you are putting me at risk for losing my life. Like, and if you don't understand that, we are clearly not friends. Like, and if you ain't finna jump in front of that bullet, you are not an ally. Listen, ally, ally is a verb. I'm sure we've heard it all before. Allies are about that action. Okay. Allies do. <laughs> Indeed. I, I just remember one instance that was like an event, right? You know, I, I don't, I don't, people go like, you love parties, you go to parties. I love, as a young capitalist, I loved what parties offered me. I was like, I'm about to make $600 at least tonight. I'm about to drive somebody twice and they won't even know it. I was, I was a terrible capitalist back in the day. I was like, yo, I'm going to drive you there. $5. They were like, cool, $5 round trip. I was like, I did not say that. However, you're already in the car, so I'll charge you $5 on the way back. If you can't pay, I'll take something as collateral. Let's go. You know, get them there. People start, you know, it's one of those parties in, in Northeast Georgia. In the, in the, so we drive in, right? Firstly, no vehicle I've ever driven was capable of making these roads. It's like people were turning and then the roads were cut out and then the middle was up. So I was just ripping out my undercarriage as I went up. I was just tearing myself apart. I was like, tick, tick, tick. wait, Asterisk, you're muted. Okay, you're back. <laughs> wait, you're back. Okay. People are throwing mattresses and couches and, and stuff on this fire and it's getting big. I'm like, hold up, hold up. This is Chattahoochee National Forest, isn't it? I was like, oh, I don't, I don't. I don't really like the USDA or the Department of Natural Resources, but I do know a park ranger uh, has just as much authority and a firearm like any other police officer. So I'm going to go ahead and get inside the car. Sam Pham was with me. I was like, let's just go ahead and get inside the car. Sooner than you know, coming up the trail, you know, we have two 
park rangers. They start stopping people. Hey, we don't have to breathalyze you. Uh, no, can you just let me go? I, if I'm not mistaken, it was $250 a fine for every single person. So they were like $250, breathalyze, $250. It's just a citation. No, I'm not paying this. Oh, you guys want the $10,000 fine for starting a forest fire? Each? And people were like, I'll take the fine. I was like, see me? Let me tell my mother I had a $250 fine. See what happens. Luckily, your boy was a driver. So I was like, okay, okay. People start using me, right? You know, I'm not, I'm not going to get somebody arrested. Even, even if they are a little alabaster counterpart. But, oh no, he saw me, I didn't drink. Well, he he tested like zero, zero. Did, did you see them drink? I just start acting like I can't speak. I'm like, my throat hurts, sir, my throat hurts. Little did I know, there's a, there's, a, there's a guy who rode with me, right? This guy high on cocaine, I don't know what else. And he's like leaping through the forest because he's a, he's a cheerleader. So this man is actually doing some daredevil stuff behind the cars, like, because you know that all the cars are parked on the side. And I'm like, this, this, and this guy was actually alabaster. Like my man was pale. So he was obvious wearing a green shirt, just flipping. And then they go like, what is that? And I was like, I didn't see it. This man crawls in through my window and says, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. I can't get arrested anymore. And I was like, cool. I was like, officer, so I'm going to go. You get arrested anymore. Anymore? That's, that's hold cool. on. I was like, hold up. Sam Sam's in the car. I was like, we got to roll out. We got to roll out. So we start driving, right? And I'm like, hold up. Did you get a fine? And he goes like, nah, I ran away. That's why I was on the side of the cars. And I was like, so you're telling me you just got in my car, right? You're high. You avoided them. You didn't you're tell high. me that they right. chased you're you. Thinking. They chased you into the woods. You're doing cartwheels in the in the woods, high, half naked. And you lived to see I was like, the it's next different day. if you if you like if they didn't know you were here and you got in, it's still not okay. I still don't want to be complicit with the sack. But you evaded arrest and you made me an accessory. And Sam Fam. It's not your friends, homie. The moral of the story. <laughs> the moral of the story. Yo, he said, I'll pay for gas. I was like, bet. That'll be $35. My tank only takes 15 I was like, that'll be $35. Reparations. <laughs> Reparations. <laughs> oh God. So you mentioned you mentioned capitalism, right? And I think I think it's fitting to uh tie it into tokenism because uh how many black capitalists do you know? Oh, you mean you mean Candace? You got Candace, you got Jay-Z, uh oh, uh, you got Beyonce, Ben Carson. Uh, ben Carson, just about any rapper that exists, right? With the exclusion of like a select few. <laughs> 50 cent low yep. and and guess 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 what they're yeah, used as they're token. used as to, the token they are the spokespeople for black people right yeah. you look you look at this election cycle and uh who, who who are these politicians out here talking to not not grassroots activists not the people all nah. rappers all rappers it, it was basically like like a po like a pokey deck how many rappers can you collect to your side and see if they can endorse you that's going to win you the black vote, you know, because uh, we want to make sure that uh, the blacks vote for the right people. Joe Biden darn sure said it. If you don't vote for me, you're not black. You know, 
to throw hands with listen president elect because i'm like you what you're not gonna do is tell us who we are and who we're not based off of like stop pandering my guy stop just stop it just stop that's all this, that's all this election cycle was though right every time you look it was what minority group can we like collect into our party right it was with, with joe biden i think about what they did in atlanta right they brought two chains out because obviously two chains appeals to the Negroes. So guess what? We're gonna have him come on stage and endorse Joe Biden and Kamala and uh, even, even perform a little rap song for everybody, you know, a little, little, little tap dancing, a little soft shoe for the white man. God help us, help us. Mm. You know, as, as they say, don't save us, we don't wanna be saved. But what I really don't want is for somebody to come up and tell me that I'm lost or something, and I have to save you. Come on through. I need to stop doing that childish voice whenever I imitate them. But they're like, "Come on over here. Uh, we'll we'll be your friends." You know, they see you just sitting alone, sitting alone, right? Basketball players walk by and they don't say what's up to me. People assume, "Oh, he doesn't." Okay, we can we can get him. We can we can recruit him to our side because the basketball players didn't say what's up. And everyone knows all black people say what's up to each other. So we're gonna get him. So I, I go along with it. Hey, um, have you ever heard of we're gonna say um above soil? Have you ever heard of our prayer group above soil? And it's like uh kind of uh above soil, that's kind of a cool name. I I get it. And uh, they're like, yeah, do you want to come? And I was like, sure, why not get there? It's just contemporary music, you know, oceans, you know, other things. And then I'm like, cool, cool. People are starting to cry. Maybe this is like a black church, which I also wouldn't attend uh, upon that odd invitation, but I'd give it a chance. They're seeing people give their testimonies. I'm like, they're really feeling it. And then they mention uh, an excerpt from a book. And I'm like, okay, that's that's one of those thumper books. Oh, I get it, I get it. That's one of those, yeah, yeah. We have we have Peter the Rabbit out here, out here thumping. That's cool. Nah, nah, no, 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 no. It's an economics manual with a guy who happens to be Christian, and they they mention what he said, and it's it's basically prosperity doctrine. And I was like, I gotta go, I gotta go, go back, right? Sit down, and people are like, did you enjoy it? irony here here's the irony because you guys know but nobody who's listening really would know but in the in the campus center you can there are the desks that are close to the doors that are actually windows because they're rarely ever unlocked um and you can walk beside it or you can walk on a slightly higher platform near the cafeteria that's where the basketball players were walking and i was facing towards the downstairs to the christian restaurant establishment. So they couldn't lock eyes with me. So why would they say, what's up? They're not going to come out out of their way and say, Hey, what's up, homie. That, that's not, that's not something that, uh, normal people do, but that, that was their assumption. Luckily this time I was chilling and I was face face towards the cafeteria and they come through and they like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. what's up? What's up? Then they come down, we start chatting up and then the, uh, people from above ground, um, above the soil, my bad, above the soil, they come over and uh, they're like, 
topsoil. We'll call it topsoil. That's better. Uh, they come over and then they realize we're all talking and then they just you know, do a beeline and don't even, they just, they sort of look down and I'm like, were they terrified that there were a group of black people here or yes. did they just want to get yes, in the line? Yes, yes, they were. They were. Topsoil, boy. Topsoil. Not everybody who was a part of Topsoil were like bad. Not everybody there was like doing invasive farming techniques. Some of them were doing regenerative soil restoration. <laughs> However, a lot of them were doing some 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 aggressive tilling. And I didn't appreciate it. But even even with that, it's like, how do you get to say what black people do to communicate with each other like how how you get to say because the the basketball team didn't say hello that you're not accepted into the community like where who who are you that you get to say that you don't <laughs> you don't you know that that's those farmers are coming through um you know they're really i really do like this topsoil um, I like what I did there. It's probably the I, only I, I like what thing you did there season. too. I like what you did there too. That Thank was good. You. But like, no, legitimately as well, they are like farmers because they're trying to cultivate a specific crop, a crop that serves their needs. Just like farmers in Canada farmed rapeseed oil until it was no longer appreciated that it was called that, and they changed it to Canada oil in Latin, canola. And then it, it's so they just, it's the same thing. They didn't even flip the script. They just changed what they called it. You know, um, white nationalists become identitarians. People who have a black friend no longer call this guy token. Like, you know, the South Park, um, the, the kid who's actually named token. They, they don't do things like this anymore. No, they go like, oh, that's, um, you know, that's my friend. That's my friend. They just say it like multiple times and I'm like, what are you saying? Are they your friend or are they not? I get worried sometimes. I really do. If, if someone calls you out on your racism and your immediate inclination is to, to name the first black person that comes to mind that you can think of and say, that's my friend. Oh, I'm related to them, but I have black stepkids or I, you know, have a black cousin or my my cousin's uncle's sister talk about it <laughs> like talk about it what 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 like what do you no that that, that doesn't erase or no please don't don't be throwing my name out here indeed as as the kids would say no cap and to speak of caps we can't afford bottle caps unless we take an ad break so until then we'll see you folks in however many ads we have this season. And we are back from the ad break, uh, discussing tokenism and whatever else tangentially that connects to. <laughs> um, so one thing that I thought about, um, I guess as we were having the earlier conversation, um, I thought about slavery and capitalism, right? You look at big capitalists and uh, it's always, it's always their success story, right? And we all know that capitalism does not exist without exploitation, right? But it's always the success story of the billionaires and millionaires and how they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. But we always forget 
the people that were exploited for them to get to that point, right? Jay-Z was out here uh, selling drugs to get to the point of, you know, a successful rap career. And then in his successful rap career, uh, how many artists did he screw over? Okay. Um, but from a, from a different angle, you also have slavery, right? Whenever we talk about America, it's always how great America is and how great we're going to make America. But we always seem to exclude out of that uh, conversation why America sucked and how, what it took for America to get here in the first place, right? Slavery and indigenous peoples and people being exploited under capitalism, right? And how soon do you forget? <laughs> how Always, soon do right? you forget? And then they, want, then they want you to forget it as well, right? You get into a conversation with um, somebody that I guess aligns more conservatively, you know? or decides to be colorblind, right? And the conversation is always, well, why are you always bringing up the past? Why are you constantly living in the past? Your ancestors experienced slavery, um, but you didn't experience slavery, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, your generational trauma doesn't exist. And, you Indeed. Know. But your ancestors use that rebel flag. What? Don't tread on them. You have freedom of speech now. You don't have to worry about indoctrination from a foreign government. Go ahead and let it go. Let it the past go. Take down affirmative action and also remove restrictive redlining, gerrymandering, and see how much power you have tomorrow, my boy. Let the past go. Let's see what happens. It's not going to work out. It's not going to work out. Nah, you can't have conversations around that without... Uh race baiting i guess or um playing playing the race card too hard right but you know we talk about all the things that talk about like black people having or lgbt people having more um access and i guess equality right everything's equal now the civil rights act was passed and gay marriage happened everything's equal joe biden's president or the president-elect so uh happy now <laughs> you should be happy now, right? Energy. <laughs> the race, the racism is going to be uh, a bit more polite, and that should be good enough for you. We can get back to normal. You know, they don't, <laughs> they don't get to be out here as actively uh, oppressive or as actively racist anymore. And you know, it's supposed to be good enough because you don't, you don't matter enough for us to actually worry about equity, right? And uh, it's only, it's only ever about equality. Mm -hmm. um, so. You know, or so, for example, when you say, hey, cool, we may have so-and-so as a president, this thing still hurts me, you know, these oppressive things are still oppressive, and your voice can be discounted because, you know, thank you for voting for Joe Biden and, you know, getting the Black vote mobilized to vote for Joe Biden. Now we can go back to ignoring you, and you can go back to actively being a token. <sighs> Aren't you happy, Jackie? There's a there's a black woman president vice president elect. Aren't, aren't you happy? I'm like I don't even rock with her like that. So there you are. <laughs> <laughs> and you know you know I have to I have to always like put this little extra spin on my Kamala criticism. I'm always like it's great. It is great that she is uh, the first black woman you know as vice president. It's great that we have a black person. Uh, south asian person within this position right it's great it's fantastic it is strides for for our people right it also shows that people of color can be oppressive as well because if you check that if you check that track record you know you know sure she could have been progressive for the area that she was in you know progressive for her position 
You can't. You can't throw out the uh, oppressive things that she did on top of the progressive things that she did. Mm-hmm. Right. Always holding her accountable for that. Certainly. But you know, to to be myself here, I have to ask. You know, like in the last five podcasts, how I avoid actually speaking my own opinions. What do we do about it? What do we do about being tokens? How can I solve the problem without getting arrested or losing security clearance? It ain't it. Mm. I don't, I don't, no, you might not like this answer. However, Uh-oh. it's not on us. White supremacy is not a black issue. It is not. Y'all, y'all need to y'all need to figure out what y'all need to do now to <laughs> to fix this because. <laughs> so. I, I hear you. That's just how I feel. That's how I feel personally. I feel you. I feel you. But Khalid and I had the same exact conversation less than five <laughs> hours ago on the phone for an hour and a half. I, I understand it is not essentially my duty to tell people what they should and should not do uh, or what will lead to them most likely having a shorter life if they do it in front of certain people. However, I do not have faith in some people who tout to be allies, I, I'm gonna go ahead and say, I don't have faith in most people who tout to be allies because I don't know that some of them I meet would hop in front of a bullet for me. I know I'd hop in front of a bullet for a KKK member to prove a point, but that's just no, me. I wouldn't. Other I people wouldn't. won't do that. They could bite Other it. people <laughs> won't do that, you know? But <laughs> what I can say is that, you know, the ally going and as as i was telling khalid you know going in let's say Asheville, north carolina and crying and going like don't say that that's me that's offensive that doesn't help me whatsoever i don't need you crying for me that's that's nice however you do that to an nra member uh an alt-right conservative member they're gonna be like, look at these look at these this is what you got you got white people reduced to this white pride we're not gonna be that we're not gonna be pansies white i'm not gonna say it, but that's that's stuff that they would say <laughs> and i'm like ah oh. so so your mm. but is it really that hard like when i say it, it's not on us to fix it like mm-hmm. there are books there are documentaries mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there are you know television Stop, stop asking your black friends what to do. Google it. Google it. Don't necessarily ask us what to do, right? That That's a, that's, that's problematic. Do. Just meet a need. Like, don't mm. stop asking us like, oh, oh my yeah. gosh. Because I'm going to come through. Help. What do I do? And it's mm-hmm. like. Oh yeah. Worry not. If you step out of line, I'm stepping up. But my thing is, whenever <laughs> we got some people saying, oh, but. But Jeremy gave me a black card. See, that's that's the problem there. I know you claim to be an ally. However, Jeremy was doing some subversive shit to get out of speaking about it. So now I got a problem with both you, ally, with the scare quotes, and Jeremy, whose real name was probably Jerome or Jeremiah. Don't be playing me, Jeremy. Okay, I'm coming but this, for is, you. this is this is also where I go back to about it's easier for me, for me personally, right? I find it easier to have a conversation with a black conservative, you know, than I do to have a conversation with a white conservative, mm-hmm. right? Because as I've said, I believe that the black conservative honestly truly believes that they have black people's interests at heart. 
that they have other people's best interests at heart. I think they're going about it the entirely wrong way. You know, they've obviously aligned with things that are oppressive, but they think that it's a successful thing for them, right? You know, you have black people that have found some form of success, right? Or had certain experiences where they feel like, cool, this thing is helpful for black people because it's been helpful for me. Or capitalism helps black people because things are equal. And you know, the way to help the black community is more capitalism, right? Um, I think it's misguided, sure, but I think their heart's in the right place. And I am more willing to engage in conversations with them, one, because my worry is not that the black conservative is going to shoot me because I'm black. You know, I'm not, I'm not all too concerned that the black conservative is uh, going to call me an N-word with a hard R to my face and uh, I should fear for my life, right? I have, like, I can talk to white conservatives. I can talk to, I have talked to alt-right people, but I only have so much energy for it, right? Mm -hmm. this, is, this is where allies come in because I would hope that they have more energy for it. And yes, you know, I can't expect it, but you know, if I want to be optimistic and a little bit less cynical and I'm more cynical than I am not, but you know, I'd like to believe that my real friends, the ones that um, call themselves allies and that I look to to be allies would actually step up, right? I have some friends that definitely do. Um, like my white friends, the ones that I call my friends definitely do, they definitely step up and times where they need to step up, they're more willing to have conversations with uh, people that are far right. I just don't feel like that should fall on me, a black person to have to have that conversation every single time. But I also think it depends on, as I said earlier in the conversation with you, um, how far does your activism extend? You know, what does your activism encompass, right? Uh, as I said, for some people that activism is just being on social media. Maybe you have that time to, you know, be combative and make and like go at it on social media. Um, maybe you're a creative and maybe your activism extends to, you know, your creations, your art, your um, whatever you're creating, right? Uh, for other people, it's being out there and having conversations in public and being in protests. Maybe your activism, you know, brings in uh, multiple different facets of it, right? But I think ultimately it just depends on what you have energy for, right? And a lot of black people, as we've seen recently, do not have the energy to go back and forth with a white person that doesn't even uh, see them as, doesn't even recognize their oppression or their trauma, right? You know, if I'm gonna have a conversation with you and all you're going to do is invalidate my experiences, I'm not going to be breaking that ground anytime soon. And I don't want to put myself in a position to be a token that you can basically pull out of your, uh, out of your pack of tokens to be like, well, you know, I'm making progress. I'm not racist, but you're still just as racist as you were. Maybe you just don't do one thing. And, you know, people making change, minor change is good, but it should be a step towards, it, it should be working towards a bigger goal of more change, right? At a certain point, people are uh, imperceptive to change. Like they don't, they're not receptive of it, right? And especially like you do what you can. And there are people that are able to do more. And I would hope that an ally has the capacity and the ability to do more with the group that's oppressing me than I would, you know? I'd be in, in short, I'd just be like, get your cousins, get your cousins, please. I don't have the energy. I'm over here unpacking my own trauma. Like I am fatigued, get y'all's cousins. <laughs>
you want me to get mine when they, you know, when they're doing whatever they're doing. All right. Well, this is my turn to tell you to get your cousins. Um, I do want to speak to what you were saying, Khalid, about the uh, the black conservative. Um, I wrestle with this a lot because I I used to be really frustrated that black people just couldn't get on the same page <laughs> um, when it came to their approach for liberation. Um, and a lot of that, I think I, I had to take a step back and say, like, I think people are just doing what works for them. Like they're just working with the tools that they've been handed. Um, and that, I mean, that's it. Um, like that guest who came on the campus, right. And told me I need to tone it down or else I'll never reach these high highs or I'll never reach like these executive level positions and things like that. I'm like, I had to take a step back. I'm like, okay, so there's a generational difference here, you know, um, you know, folks who grew up maybe in, you know, the seventies and eighties, um, you know, they, they tend to subscribe to respectability, um, because at, at that point in time, they just wanted a seat at the table. Um, but right now we're reaching a point where a seat at the table is not enough. Like I, I need a little bit more, like, can I get a plate? over here like can I bring a dish to the table <laughs> um kind of a thing um so it's interesting because like I said I used to be really frustrated like why why are we all over the place like why are uh, especially around the whole voting conversation you know you had groups of people saying voting's not going to work why waste your time you're playing into the system and then you had people over here who are you know calling up every and anybody that they know on, you know, their, in their phone log, um, or, you know, anyone in their, in their social media network and, and black mm -hmm. them saying, get out there and vote and things like that. And, um, honestly, there, there are many different paths, like to resistance. Um, and I think that it does take some responsibility, um, of our, our white counterparts to say they're doing a lot, like, uh, you know, Black folks are out here doing every and anything that they can. The least we can do is is try to see in what ways we can assist with that. Um, but yeah, I really, to me, it's not that hard. Like it's not, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's no science to it. I think it, it it's. It's not hard to practice empathy or to step up for somebody that needs you to step up for them but there's obviously resistance because it's like, well, like it, it becomes oppression politics, right? It's like, well, what about me? What about what I've been through? And why should I have to center somebody else's experience over my personal experiences, right? And that, that always becomes like a big talking point within a lot of these conversations. Yep. I think that it's also, um, there's a threat, there's a fear of retribution um, there's, you know, a threat, um, to potential spaces and access to power and privilege themselves. Um, but you like, if, if you're not willing to give all of that up, can you honestly call yourself an ally? An ally? No, you can't, <laughs> you cannot. I agree. I, I read this one thing. Um, 
I guess it's tying more into class, but I think class and race go hand in hand. So I think there's definitely a racial aspect here. Um, but I read this thing and it was like, it was a debate on debt forgiveness and the potential for free college. And the argument was basically, well, if we give free college, everyone can go. And that's a problem to people, right? And the question is, well, why is this a problem? And you analyze it and it's because everybody has access. The playing field gets a little bit more even, like not evened all the way, but there's a, there's a lot more room for, you know, people that before didn't have the same access, you know, they now have access to education, which gives them access to better jobs, which means that the class divide becomes smaller, right? And so, you know, you look at it and it's a reinforcement of class. And if it's reinforcing uh, class and classism, um, when you look at a lot of black people that have economic struggles or a lot of people of color that have economic struggles, right? Lack of access to education, you know, they stay at the bottom. It reinforces all of these racist systems that are already in play. And, uh, you know, how, how do you find a way up? And you have so much combative conversations around it. Like even, even within the um, political sphere, you know, where you have the conservatives that are going to try to combat just about everything that comes in that's progressive, right? And it's like, cool, no, we want the goal is to keep people at the bottom at the bottom. We talk about the um, raising of the minimum wage. Odds are, if it's not done effectively, uh, you're going to see mass inflation, you know, as a way of keeping oppressed people oppressed. You make cops have to uh, wear body cams and uh, you ban chokeholds. They find more creative ways to kill black people. Hell of a way to get creative here lately. Certainly, certainly. Khalid, Jackie, you've both dropped some very good information. Uh, I think the audience is still digesting it. So it's my duty right, to make it even more difficult to digest. So let's go ahead and jump in. Let's bring in some Amicia uh, Saris and Franz Fanon. So people might say, I'm not doing these things on purpose. I'm not trying to have my friends be a token. And I hear you. It sounds like you're doing all these things in uh, good faith, right? Um, good faith. So I say a rhinoceros who walks into a room full of mice might still be an herbivore and not wanting to kill any of the mice. However, the rhinoceros still kills some mice. And people will be like, oh, what does this mean? What does this mean? Well, I'll tell you exactly what it means. Whenever you call your friend Kenny over and you ask Kenny what he thinks about black politics, even though Kenny is white, um, that's, a, that's a little bit of a problem. But whenever they're like, oh, you know, I've been thinking about this. I watched a documentary. Good on you. You watched the 13th on Netflix. I'm proud of you. I'm not your Negro, but you're like, did you see that movie with um, whatever his name was, who it's based on his book and it's called, I'm not your, you know, I'm, I'm not your, mm -hmm. but like, I didn't really understand it. So Paul, Paul, can, can you explain this to us? What is the 13th amendment? As though this has just been, Paul went to a similar high school as you. There's a there's a small chance that Paul has no idea what the 13th Amendment is, but you thought he would know about all of the racial oppression simply because he is a subject of it. 
why would it be that the oppressed would know the laws of the oppressor that hold them down? Usually we know that we're being held down. So whenever Caitlin Bennett is on the sidewalk asking people who march with Black Lives Matter, explain how the president is racist. Give me one example. Why on earth would I go and do my research on someone who has vehemently opposed the denouncing of white supremacy? I'm not going to memorize quotes from him. I'm certainly not going to bookmark a page to bring up whenever a conservative asks me. And why do you have to validate that, right? Like, you should not have to validate your, your, your feelings. If you feel something is racist, odds are it probably is. You might have a point nine 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 nine. Not yet. There's like there's like a very small margin where it isn't, but odds are it probably is. And you should not have to validate that, you know. But the issue is you have people that are like, well, I mean, for these other black people, that's not racist. To these other Mexicans, uh, it's not racist for him to say build a wall or keep the Mexicans out, you know. All the all this rhetoric uh, gets it gets it gets discounted, right? I had I had a conversation with. Um, the person that Jackie has alluded to um, was part of a conversational group. And um, the majority of the Black voices that were there um, definitely noted um, their experience at the college as, you know, pretty solid minus, you know, one or two things, right? Whereas for me, I definitely went down like a laundry list of things where, you know, Young Harris was not a conducive environment for Black people, right? You know, and it's like, cool. I seem to be the odd person out here and the school can invalidate my feelings around the racist culture and environment at the school because the other black students that they've had there don't feel the same way or did not have similar experiences in the slightest, right? And it's like, cool. Now my feelings can be invalidated because they can rely on um, their forms of tokenizing people to inform and validate their racism or racist policies. I think what's interesting to me is if any other friend comes to you and says, I don't know, let's say I, I, I go to my friend or someone who I think I, I consider as a friend and I say, I'm suffering with this or I'm struggling with this or this particular thing is challenging for me. And you can fill in any like any issue or anything. You could you could you could plug in something related to my mental health. You could plug in something related to my gender. You know you can plug in anything. And for whatever reason, I'm I'm validated. I'm heard. You know um, I'm respected. Um, I seem to be believed. But when it comes to 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 racism or something black, it's just really hard to believe. And I'm like, where? Where was that same empathy? Like, help help me understand. Like, where did you drop it? Like, did it fall out of your pocket as soon as I mentioned the word black? Like, I think about uh, your your podcast. There's a particular episode of Mocha Message. As I'm going to plug it, um, the F word, right? As y'all talk about feminism and womanism, right? How feminism uh, within its history excluded black women and black people, right? Uh, even that famous Susan B. Anthony quote, God forbid. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think about, think about womanism and how, you know, there's this intersectionality applied to it. And you have, you know, as I said, oppression Olympics, and we want to throw away the nuance of intersectionality 
and and play this what about me you know i'm a white woman and as a white woman my experiences are comparable to you as a black woman uh in the second you put your experiences as a black woman or a woman of color on there there becomes this huge divide right the thing that separates you your womanhood you can't even see that anymore because you had to you had to bring race into it definitely i i see and hear that a lot you know i'm right i'm right i'm right along with you you know when it comes to you know the pay wage gap or you know extended maternity leave or you know uh places for um lactation spaces and things like that but mm, as soon as you mentioned something about being black sorry can't relate once again did your empathy like did you lose it walking down the street like what what happened? Where did it go? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, they'll, they'll be anti-vax. My kids are going to a Foley. My, my kids are going to be trained in the Foley arts in their special school that was designed by a Jesuit priest 25 years ago. They're going to learn Greek. They're going to learn Latin. Africa doesn't exist. But my kids are going to be perfect. They're going to be allies to Black Lives Matter. Oh, son, don't go to the rally. It's dangerous. Don't go. Don't go. You got to be safe. You got to be safe. Don't get vaccinated either. They're going to test on you. You know what they did to them in Tuskegee? You know what they did. It, it could happen to you. Let them get it first. Which is why I'll be waiting for that. I'll be waiting for that second uh, round of vaccinations. Y'all ain't finna get me on the first. Absolutely. Y'all ain't finna hit me on the first round. Not I. Not Come me. out here looking like a vampire. Ah, so we messed it up. <laughs> Good thing you're immortal. Bad thing is you'll slowly waste away for 5,000 years. So the good thing is you are immune to coronavirus. The bad thing is you had to lose an arm to do it. I'm sorry. It just... <laughs> you developed sepsis. It was, we couldn't have known unless we tested it. <laughs> now we know we can use an inhaler instead of an injection. Lucky us. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, we didn't even touch uh, microaggressions. Ooh, let's get into it. We got time. Let's get into it. We do have time. Uh, I, I think I, um, I mentioned hair earlier, right? Um, and what a lot of people don't realize is for Black women, getting your hair done is, is freeing. Um, getting your hair done is a joyous experience. It's, uh, I would say it's almost spiritual. Like it, it, you know, there's, there's the community aspect of the salon and you're in there with your auntie or your mom when, you know, when you're a kid or uh, your, your stylist or whatever, it, it, there's this sinking feeling right before you go into work on Monday. And it's like, God dang, like, I'm going to be asked all these questions. So how long did it take? And, you know, is it yours? Oh my gosh, your hair got longer. I don't remember. Can I touch it? <laughs> right. Can I touch it? And it, I'm like, is it really that simple? Like, is it, it, it like, is it really that hard to just say, oh, your hair looks nice. I like it. No, nah, no, nah, you become, you become a petting zoo. Uh, you become, right. you become something that's, uh, you know, you're on display. I remember um, one time as I started to like wearing my do-rag more in public, you know, I got wave checked by white people and I did not know how to feel about it they were like they were like wave check and I was like oh is this racist is this a microaggression what's going on here I, I took the do-rag off because I was like I was like 
it's not they're not trying to be harmful but i was like i went back to my room and i was like hmm hmm maybe i shouldn't have done that no, maybe they, i just should have said that. no and walked away they, they saw it on instagram or the tiktok and they were like let's try it he's safe he's a young harris he's safe and you're put on display or it's like exhibitionism right it's like um when i think of when i think about like language usage right beyond beyond like hair right you get into maybe they'll say something offensive but try to like friendly it up uh-uh. you know? and 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 you know they'll they'll skirt they'll skirt around it or like you don't like talk like those other black people mm-hmm. like, you dress better I'm- than a lot of other black people hmm you're 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 awfully intelligent for a black person indeed indeed wow you're why do you speak so many languages? Where, where are you originally from? Oh, I'm, I'm from Georgia. Where are your parents from? Why does it matter? Be- because like you don't, you don't typically see a, you know, speaking French in this area, in this area. In or, this area. Or, or what was that that you said it was? Is that from Africa? Oh my! What? So, so your grandparents aren't from Africa? I was, I mean, yeah, my ancestors are from Africa. For sure. They go like, that explains it. You didn't learn this at school, did you? I was like, nah, they don't, they definitely don't teach this at, at school. But I didn't learn it from my grandparents who sound like you. Uh, they're like, no, you know, no. You know, one of the big things, it's like there's been a monopoly on intelligence, right? It's like intelligence is supposed to be exclusively white being cultured is supposed to be exclusively white talking i'm doing air quotations because this is not a video that's being put out talking proper is exclusively white right and unfortunately it also creates a disconnect uh between people in your own community right because like i went to a black middle school and high school and um with that definitely came this kind of like alienation because it was like you talk white you you act white you don't do you don't have interest in things that black people do and it makes you kind of disassociate a bit right because you're like oh no i'm proud to be black but you know if i'm an oreo i guess i'm an oreo and it and you know you have to like really sit with that and sit with yourself because it's like no i'm just black and i do things that black people do but because white people because white supremacy has uh, rooted itself so deeply within every culture, everything. within <laughs> everything, you know, you can't remove that from certain things without having to actively unlearn white supremacy. Uh, I'm like, white folks have gatekept so much to the point where because we couldn't have access to these things, these activities, these spaces, um these hobbies whatever um all of a sudden like even within our own community they are seen as white um I have a cousin who likes to go hiking and somebody was like that's some white people shit and she's like hiking hey that's me boy (laughs) what um someone told me that you know because I I prefer almond milk that you know that's white and I'm like well oh yeah I'll, so my my dietary like needs are now associated with Yo, 
Nah, just wait. you can't be you can't be healthy. You are not but, allowed. You are not oh, allowed oh, to practice that. that. Eat that government cheese, girl. Oh my god! <laughs> like, 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 think like I see this. I see this often, right? Like, Khalid, you've talked to my unfortunately some of my family members, and it's like, it's like, yo, yo, don't eat that. That's unhealthy. That's unhealthy. Don't eat that. And it's like, what? Nah, nah, they're lying to you. Boom. Three months later, man dies of a heart attack. I just told you guys that's unhealthy. Don't eat that. Ah, I, you know, saying some stupid stuff like I'd rather die happy. I was like, you saw that man whenever he was having that heart attack. I don't think he was happy. I can guarantee he was not. Then whenever the spark left his eyes, they were like, stop saying stuff like that. I was like, you act like it. Come on now. Don't play it. You allow them. Right. There's some hotep stuff. Right. Let me let me go preface this by saying I'm not a hotep, but there's some hotep stuff that said we weren't taken into slavery to build this country. That was secondary. But we were taken in this country because they saw the potential of the Mandinka and Mandinkos and uh, the Wolof and the uh, Fante people in West Africa and Northeast Africa, everywhere in Africa. And they saw Timbuktu, the great library that rivaled even Alexandria. And they were like, oh, shit. We get, we got to go ahead and break that up before uh, before they start thinking, oh, wait, you know, they're out here conquering the new world. Let us get on our ships. So let's start convincing people to fight against each other. And while they're doing that, we'll just swoop up everyone who's not willing to participate. We'll, we'll pay some people to swoop up their cousins. And then we'll just break it all up, start selling off people. Side note, we're going to use them for slavery because we can't just dump them into the sea, although we will if they try to fight back. So, you know, the Hotep saying this is kind of worrying. However, if you start to think about it and you let your mind, you let your imagination roam, I'm not going to lie. The Hoteps kind of have a point, you know, keeping us because if you watch the Hunter series on Amazon, listen, if you watch the. If you watch the Hunter series on Amazon, which is about, um, it's a group of Jewish hunters who hunt down Nazis who got away. And it's like, they're, uh, the Nazis invented corn syrup. Like this is, this is in the show. This is in the show. Let me not get people out here thinking that I believe Nazis invented corn syrup, whether they did or not, I'm not going to say that on the show. However, in the show, they invented corn syrup and it's like, but how does this kill them? And they're like, you don't understand. Matzah is made with sugar, but the cheapest sugar, and we will produce the matzah in the factory and sell it in the kosher section. We will make the kosher section. Rye bread, corn syrup. Matzah, corn syrup. Ah, let's get the black people. Kool-Aid, corn syrup. Sunkiss, corn syrup. And they were like, we don't have to kill them all. We can make them infertile and die before they can teach their generations about the past. And I was like, hold up, hold up. This is wild, Amazon. This is wild, firstly. Like, obviously, it's a show. But I was like, this actually would be a fire idea if, if, if some governmental Nazis who were hired by NASA in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s came up with this idea. It, would, it wouldn't be far from the truth. I'm not a hotel, by the way. Amazon doing the most, and so are the hoteps. Y'all can both sit down. Set your ass down now. <laughs>
But you know, what if we were on what if we were on the midst of a breakthrough in Timbuktu? We we were writing some stuff, we were we were inventing, we we were on that next level, learning twenty languages, you know, on that next level, and they're like, Hold up, hold up. I'm Portuguese and I struggle to learn our sister language, Spanish. Let's go ahead and take them. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and take them. Once again, not a hotel. As we as we run up against our time, uh, Jackie, we have a uh, we have an after show um, called In Defensive Time, which is a Patreon exclusive. Um, and yeah, we it's a bit freer. So if you'd like to join us over there, we'd be happy to have you. Uh, but thank you for joining us for this podcast. Thank you. Most definitely. Thanks for having me.